Welcome into another episode of the Who Day Den. I'm your host, Taylor. And a huge opportunity awaits the Cincinnati Bengals this week. An opportunity to move to 7-4 and four on the season. I know every time we win, I'm just elated to, to add another win to the win column, especially since I was a little more pessimistic coming into the season. But the fact that we could be 7-4 and four after 11 games would set us up pretty nicely for the rest of the season. We'd move to 3-1 and one in the AFC North. And because Baltimore and Cleveland are playing each other this week as well, we have a, a major opportunity this week, the Bengals, to, to gain a game on Pittsburgh, beating them. We would also have the tiebreakers. We've won both head-to-head matchups. And then we're either gaining a game on Cleveland or Baltimore, depending on how the outcome of that game goes. So, you know, other things at stake here, we haven't beat the Steelers in three straight matchups for over three decades. An opportunity to do that after winning the last matchup of 2020 and then the first matchup in week three of 2021. This is another part of the controlling your own destiny thing we're talking about. A very winnable home game against a division foe, uh, one of the teams that's right there in the AFC playoff picture. And if you take care of business here, you're going to be sitting pretty heading into your next home matchup against the Chargers. Now, this is a team that we have already played. This is, if I'm not mistaken, our first rematch of the season. We've played the Ravens once, the Browns once, and this is our first divisional rematch. So we can kind of look back on the previous matchup 24 to 10. What can we glean from that? Well, usually I'd have a guest on, right? We'd be talking to somebody who covers the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tommy was on uh, last time we faced the Steelers. And unfortunately, I completely forgot that it was uh, Thanksgiving week. So everybody's schedules are very compressed with a short week. Tommy unable to join us this week. So unfortunately for you guys, it's just me. But do not be dismayed because I've got some good stuff for us this week. Like I said, last time, 24 to 10 Bengals win. And it was a nice road win, right? To, to win on the road against the Steelers. And as a fan base, it was a big win for us because... We beat the Vikings and we were excited in week one and then we lost the ugly game to the Bears. And it was an early crossroads for the the team and for the fan base. Is this this a good team or is this a bad team? And to have that road rebound win, it it was good. And we were excited and we could trash talk Steelers fans and that's great. And honestly, to, to have a two touchdown win or margin of victory there, and not even really play that well is impressive. And yes, the Steelers were without some of their guys. We were without some of ours. And now two months later, I think both of these squads look a little bit different. I feel pretty good uh, going into this game. You never never want to be too confident, especially going into a rivalry game. I, I felt pretty confident going into the Browns game. I knew the Browns were good, but I didn't think they were plus 30 uh, against us good, but that's how that game went. So you don't want to be too confident, but I I do feel like when you look at these teams on paper and and kind of look back at the last matchup as well, things are trending upward for the Bengals. Uh, The last matchup, we had the two interceptions that set up short uh, fields for our offense and those drives ended up resulting in touchdowns. Really, if it hadn't been for those, we might have been talking about a very different game. Uh, you know, 24 to 10 was a pretty, it was a pretty dominating game, but it was really from the defensive perspective. The defense played very well. 
beginning to end for the most part, limited any big plays. The offense sputtered a bit. Luckily, they were gifted a couple of short fields we were able to capitalize on. But even after getting a 24-7 to lead, the offense then closed the game out with punt, punt, punt on three straight three and outs and then uh, to end the game, a couple kneel downs. So fortunately, our defense bailed us out there and they played well enough to keep the Steelers out of the end zone really in the fourth quarter where they could have made a run as our offense was sputtering. But I want to look back at kind of where that team was, the, the Bengals team back in September when this game was played the first time and where we're at now. And think all the way back to that week and a lot of the excitement and not just around facing the Steelers, but it was also Jackson Carmen getting his first start. And I think he performed pretty well that game. He was, if you look at PFF grades, he was like the worst on the team in run blocking, but it wasn't one of those games where as you're watching it, you're, you're noticing on your TV saying, wow, Jackson Carmen's playing a terrible game. He did fine in his first game and the line as a whole gave up zero sacks. If you remember, that was the big deal that the Steelers had this long streak of how many games in a row uh, with at least one sack in our line held them to zero sacks. So if you want to use the box score stats and say, hey, the, the, the line didn't give up any sacks, that's great. It was a pretty good game, but Carmen didn't really grade out well in run blocking. And now fast forward to this matchup and Jackson Carmen's not even a starter anymore. So Hakeem Adeneje will be in there at uh, right guard. His run blocking grades the last two games and his starts have been better than what Carmen's were in that first game. But really, I don't think you're going to look at this game and, and feel a drastic difference going from Carmen to Adeneje. So, you know, it's kind of a wash there, but it will be interesting to see how Hakeem uh, handles his first sort of rivalry game at home uh, and hopefully is able to handle that Pittsburgh pass rush. Secondly, along that offensive line, Trey Hopkins really struggled in that game. Again, as a unit, zero sacks allowed. That's great. When you look at the, the PFF grades, he was a 26.5 pass blocker, 49.7 run blocker. And he was one that usually when you were watching the game, you did notice his struggles. And it wasn't just the Pittsburgh game. It was pretty common theme throughout the first half of the season. But he's really started to turn it on. And, and you look at the Trey Hopkins of the last few weeks, if that's the Trey Hopkins we're getting this week, that's a vastly different player than what Pittsburgh saw in the first matchup. Hopkins is kind of rounding into form. And as we mentioned before, whether that's because he's practicing on Wednesdays now and getting more into his routine, not taking off Wednesday practices, three of his last four games, he's at a 79 or higher pass blocking grade, according to PFF. So he's playing at a very solid level about what fans had expected him to be. And again, the unit, zero sacks allowed. But if you look at the other things that PFF looks at to, to, to look at their pass block grade and their their win rates and pass blocking and things like that, like Hopkins was bad in that game and has been playing much better over pretty much the last month. Another offensive lineman that struggled in that first matchup was Quentin Spain. He had a 5.6 pass block grade, according to PFF. It was his worst grade of the season by far. That's like that's like Billy Price range. If you're not familiar with PFF grades and the scales and how they work, like a 5.6 is what you'll see Billy Price at. I think Billy Price had a 0-1 game. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And we know that outside of that game, Quentin Spain's been very solid. So again, as a unit, zero sacks allowed in that first game. 
And yet Hopkins really wasn't playing uh, at the level he's playing at now. Spain had his worst game of the year. We still gave up zero sacks. Spain's been really solid. He's given up four pressures in the six games since Pittsburgh. With a tiny asterisk there, I did remove the Cleveland game. Quentin Spain did struggle in the Cleveland game, no doubt about it. That was a little bit to me of a, I'm going to say like of an outlier. The The game script made the it easier for the Browns defensive line to rush us the entire second half. So I did take that one out. I'll, I'll admit it. But in the other six games other than the Cleveland game, since this matchup in week three and the first time the Steelers and Bengals played, Quentin Spain's been very good. So we potentially have three linemen there. If you look at maybe a Carmen's Carmen's a wash, but maybe a Dinaje is slightly better. And Trey Hopkins is playing better. Quentin Spain's playing a better. He won't have as bad of a game as he had the first matchup. At least three fifths of our line there is improved. And, it, and it maybe most importantly is it's the three interior spots, which earlier in the season, that's where we saw the line struggling the most is Burrow consistently getting the pressure up in his face. I think it's a little bit easier for a quarterback to navigate around a pass rush the pass rush that's coming off off the edge, right? You can step up in the pocket. You can potentially scramble when you're getting it right up the middle into your face. It limits what you're able to do a little bit. And I think our, our linemen didn't uh, okay job. They did pretty good against the Raiders with those two uh, pass rushers they have there. And really the, I would say that our, our linemen are the strength of our, our offensive line. Riley Reef and Jonah Williams are the two that I'm usually least concerned about week in and week out. So going into this game, I actually feel pretty good about our offensive line. Now, we have to recognize TJ Watt will be back and he missed the first game, and that makes a big difference. We'll talk about him later. But as far as the offensive line goes, for a unit that gave up zero sacks in that first matchup and didn't even really play that well when you look at the numbers and the advanced metrics from PFF, I feel pretty good about this line being able to give Joe Burrow necessary time to make the throws he needs to make. Speaking of Joe Burrow, first matchup, he was efficient, very low volume, uh, kind of a weird game stat sheet wise, only 14 of 18, 172, but three touchdowns. The offense as a whole was really, I guess, like efficient is the word you would use to describe it. His passing stats were you know, less than stellar. The offense only had 12 first downs on the entire day. One of them was uh, via penalty from the Steelers. So really 11 first downs that you earned three of nine on third down 268 total yards. Like it was just one of those games where your offense was efficient, but I wouldn't say it was an exciting performance from your offense by, by any means. And early on, we saw Joe Burrow in the season. I don't know if you, I don't know if conservative is the right word. He he looked tentative. He didn't look as, he didn't look as confident as we had seen last season before the injury and that was to be expected we've now seen joe burrow get back into kind of a bit of a higher volume in his pass attempts he's averaging 34 pass attempts a game since this past steelers matchup i don't know that he's going to throw it 34 times a game i think he's going to throw it more than 18 times in this game i think mixon will be leaned on again and, and we'll see how that plays into this matchup i'll talk about mixon as a matchup that maybe we're able to exploit a little bit later, but this could be a game that I think plays out similarly to the Raiders game from last week, where when you look at Joe Burrow's numbers from last week, 20 of 29, 148 yards, one touchdown, no picks. It's not 
sexy and it's not uh, blowing the doors off your fantasy team, uh, helping you at least. But it got the job done and they were able to rely on the running game, especially Joe Mixon. So I think this could be a similar type of game because uh, we'll touch on some of that later. But I don't know. I I think it was a weird game for Burrow last time. But whether he throws it 18 times or 34 times, I don't think you can argue that the version we have of Joe Burrow right now, while he is throwing it more, which means prone to more mistakes, more interceptions we've seen and a little bit more sloppy play. We've at least seen him grow in comfortability, and you can't deny that when you watch early in the season versus now. His mobility, uh, navigating the pocket, his pocket presence, that's all improved every single week. And so, again, when you look at now Joe Burrow of mid-late November versus Joe Burrow in September, completely different dude, and I think it's for the better. If you want to move to the defensive side of the ball in that first game, really edge pressure, the Same old story. Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard combined for nine pressures, a couple of sacks. Interestingly enough, I think it was the um, I don't have it pulled up right now, but I think PFF only credited the uh, Steelers offensive line with allowing one sack. So they only credit the offensive offensive line with allowing one sack. But the Bengals had four sacks on the day. Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson, Cam Sample and BJ Hill. So a lot of those were on. Big Ben and his lack of mobility plays into that and whatnot. But when we get back to the edge, Trey Hendrickson, he's got a sack. I think he's in six straight games. He's had a sack Uh, one game this season that he didn't have a sack. I believe he's been pretty consistent. You can't really uh, game in and game out. You're relying on him to get pressure. And we've seen the games where Sam Hubbard is able to be a nice compliment on the other edge. We saw last week the impact Sam Hubbard had against the Raiders. It makes it difficult for these teams when when you're worried about more than just one guy on that defensive line. And especially because the Bengals aren't blitzing at a heavy rate, we really need to be able to rely on that front four to generate the pressure that we need. And I think we've seen much of the same out of them. So you look back to that Steelers game and say, yep, Trey and Sam had a couple sacks. We had four as a team. I think it's a pretty similar Uh, performance we might expect out of them this week I wouldn't say that that unit's regressed I would say they've actually been pretty consistent throughout the whole season one area I would say defensively I'm slightly concerned about is the missed tackles and it really was the main talking point after the Jets game and the Cleveland game but those weren't those weren't really the only two games this season where we saw those issues emerge against the Steelers in the first matchup the Bengals had 11 missed tackles five of them by uh, Hilton and Apple combined. A lot of those tackles, if you remember, there was a lot of dump offs to Najee Harris and short uh, area behind the line of scrimmage. Some of them were there. So your DBs are coming up and not making the tackle on Najee Harris. And the the Bengals cleaned that up last week against the Raiders. They looked better. Uh, We mentioned the gang tackling and and being able to wrap up and not rely on guys just one-on-one being able to make tackles. I'm hoping that that is the same type of swarming defense we see this week against the Steelers because Pittsburgh does have some guys that are like, I I think that's how Pittsburgh would want to beat you is if they could run the ball, which they have not done very well uh, so far this season, they'd want to do that. But based on where Ben Roethlisberger is in this state of his career, he's not throwing 60 yard bombs the entire game. Remember the days of Antonio Brown and and kind of stretching the field that we would see. They they don't do a whole lot of that very well. I think they would love to be able to complete the short, quick passes to help their 
offensive line that's not very good and then let Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson break tackles and and turn their two-yard passes into seven-yard gains. They would love to do that. It's going to be on the Bengals to make sure they're making those tackles the first time to eliminate any big plays. From the Pittsburgh perspective, last matchup, they were without TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. They're two better defensive players they have. TJ Watt, obviously one of the best in the league. That's going to make a difference. TJ Watt has nine sacks in the six games since um, the first matchup that he missed. Highsmith has four sacks in the seven games he's played since that first matchup that they missed. So those two guys combining for 13 sacks since what the week three matchup that they missed, they're two forces to be reckoned with. And we've mentioned a few times this season, whether it's Miles Garrett, uh, Khalil Mack, like we faced some good defensive linemen that have the potential to to wreck an entire offensive game plan. And TJ Watt's no different. He's very good at getting upfield, strip sack. Like he he's a he's a ball hawk type of defensive lineman too, right? It's not just he's not just thinking get the sack. He's thinking strip the ball, recover the fumble. Very active on the edge. So that's going to make a difference for them. For for Pittsburgh also, they didn't have Deontay Johnson last time. They did have Juju Smith Schuster, who is now out for the year. But Deontay Johnson wasn't there, and I would say arguably, maybe not even arguably, Deontay Johnson's more important for their offense than Juju Smith-Schuster has been the last couple of years. Deontay Johnson is Big Ben's first, second, third option on every pass attempt, it seems like. He averages over 10 targets a game. Nearly a third of all the targets in that offense goes to Deontay Johnson. So he's an integral part of that offense. He wasn't there last time. And so that's why I think from a Pittsburgh perspective, they would say they feel a little bit better coming into this game offensively. Maybe that's why they would be encouraged that they're going to be able to put up more than just the 10 points from last time because they have one of their better weapons back. Now, granted, you know, we didn't have T Higgins last time and he'll be back this time, but ours was a little easier to to navigate around maybe because when you have Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and other weapons, they fill in nicely around them. And if you remember last game, we had the Najee Harris barrage of targets, 19 targets as a as a running back is ridiculous, 14 receptions. He forced a season high eight missed tackles, kind of goes along with the 11 missed tackles that the Bengals had. It was a really weird game plan, and I'm not sure if that's how they intended it to be, but just constantly throwing short 13 passes were behind the line of scrimmage, 13 pass attempts behind line of scrimmage. If you look at Joe Burrow's uh, passing depth, rarely are we throwing passes behind the line of scrimmage. You might get one screen a game uh, against the Raiders. We had that one swing out to Stanley Morgan, I think, but I think that technically even went down as a run because it was uh, a lateral, but Burrow's not typically attempting behind the line of scrimmage passes and. The Steelers attempted 13 of those in the first matchup. 43 pass attempts were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So they were really hammering that short area of the field. The average depth of target for Ben in that game was 5.6 yards. It's his lowest of any game. We've seen that number come up uh, a little bit as of late. I would guess Deontay Johnson helps with that a little bit. And that was just such a weird game to watch. And, And I think credit goes to the Bengals defense because... They do a pretty good job of the way they're playing is we don't want to get beat deep. We don't want to give up a big play. We'll keep everything in front of us. And so Pittsburgh kept, you know, taking what we were giving them and we were only giving them a few yards at a time. So it was a it was a weird game. I'm not sure we're going to see that same type of 
game plan from Pittsburgh. I think they might try to get a little bit more vertical with Chase Claypool this game than they did the first time around. So enough looking back at the first matchup in week three. Let's let's look forward to this Sunday and the matchup number two, this one in Paul Brown Stadium against the Pittsburgh Steelers. There are some keys to the game, and as I wrote them down, I'm looking through them, and I'm like, well, most of these are kind of no-brainer things, right? These are things you want to do in every game. But I wanted to get a little bit more nuanced into to why it's important. Or So, for example, the first one I put, run the ball, which is a little ironic because, as I've said before, I don't love the mantra of it's getting colder, AFC North football, you got to run the football. Joe Mixon needs 25 carries. Because I think you have to let the game, you have to you play within what the game's giving you. So what Pitts, what's Pittsburgh going to give us? Are they going to sell out to shut down Joe Mixon? Well, then I'd rather you not run it into a brick wall 25 times. I'd rather you use the short passing game as an extension of your run game if it's not working. I don't like I don't like it when, and Zach Taylor does a pretty good job of this, of coaches getting rigid in, we're going to establish the run and we're going to keep establishing it. Every first down is a run, every second and two is a run, those types of things. But in this case, I think the Bengals do need to run the ball because I think they can run it well. The Steelers' defense has given up at least 96 rushing yards in every game except for one. I think that was back in week two against the Raiders. They gave up less than 96 yards. Other than that, every other game, at least 96 rushing yards. Before their bye week, they were giving up 108 rushing yards a game, and they've now played four games since the Steelers' bye week, and they've averaged 155 rushing yards against them per game in those four games. 155. So it's a run defense that can be exposed, and it's not just a run defense that can be exposed. If you look at where they've been exposed most, they've struggled a little bit against wide runs, and we know that Joe Mixon excels in this wide zone scheme and that they're going to run it a lot. A few weeks ago, Pittsburgh plays Chicago. Uh, David Montgomery, the RB1 there in Chicago, goes seven carries, 44 yards on wide runs alone. DeAndre Swift, two weeks ago, Lions and Steelers have a riveting tie game. DeAndre Swift goes 21 carries, 94 yards on wide runs. Just on wide runs. So again, that's not his final stat line. Any other runs on the inside lanes aren't counting. We're just talking on wide runs left or right. Last week, the Chargers didn't run it very much volume wise but if if you look at what Eckler did do Austin Eckler five carries 25 yards so still five yards a pop and a touchdown on wide runs and that's where Joe Mixon excels the first game that we had against Pittsburgh Mixon went 15 carries for 83 yards on wide runs and last week he was 21 for 97 and two touchdowns on wide runs so it's one of those things where yes run the ball sounds either cliche or it sounds like a lazy narrative but in this case, I do think the strength of the Bengals run blocking and their running back lines up pretty well with where the Steelers struggle. And that's one where even in last week's game, when you think about the Raiders, it was a game where our defense was playing well. It didn't feel like and maybe it's a case of Joe Burrow didn't need to do too much, but it didn't feel like a case where you think about the Baltimore game. That was a shellacking. The offense felt like we could do whatever we wanted. Same thing with the Lions. Once they got on track there in Detroit, they played very well offensively. Last last week, we put up 32, but it didn't feel like an explosive 32, right? 19 of those came in the fourth quarter, and they came, uh, Joe Mixon 
we're trying to kind of ice the game away there and he gets a touchdown at the end. We got a late field goal as well. So 10 points there really came at the the end of the game. Less than four minutes left in the fourth quarter, we scored 10 more points. So it wasn't an explosive 32. And if the Steelers defense is is going to try to focus on Joe Burrow and making things difficult for him, they've got some some good defensive. Minka Fitzpatrick is a good safety, and it looks like he's trending towards playing this week. Joe Hayden, I don't know if he's still good or bad. He's a name. We know Joe Hayden used to be at the Browns. He's played against the, the Bengals a lot. They've got some some good defenders back there. So if they're going to say, we don't want Joe Burrow to beat us, this is the type of game where we need to be able to run the ball. And I think we'll be able to do that with success. The second thing was protecting the ball. And it's another one is one of those that feels like, well, duh, you want to protect the ball every week. But against Pittsburgh, it's a defense that is not a ball hawking, turnover forcing defense like in the past. You think about Troy Polamalu when they had him there. That's the type of defense where they were just generating turnovers all the time. Very opportunistic. This defense is not that. They've got the sixth fewest takeaways in the NFL so far this season. And I think when you look at these two teams, especially where they're at right now, Cincinnati is the better team. The Bengals are better than the Steelers. But one way that you let inferior inferior opponents hang around in a game, one way you let inferior opponents win games they shouldn't win is turnovers giving them opportunities. And unfortunately, the Bengals have had their fair share of turnovers this year. Many times those turnovers are putting the defense in a bad spot. And it was a great tweet that went out this week. Uh, I saw it from Josh Kirkendall, who used to write for uh, Cincy Jungle. He said the Bengals offense has committed nine turnovers on their own side of the field. So the Bengals offense committing a turnover, the opposing team gets the ball, already on our side of the 50. Think of uh, last week, the fumble on the opening drive immediately gives the Raiders the ball in the red zone. So unfortunately, not only are we committing turnovers, a lot of times those turnovers are putting the defense in a bad spot. Now, so far the defense has done a great job in those nine instances where the other team has the ball on our side of the field after turnover. We've only allowed one touchdown, five field goals. So what is that? 15, uh, 22 points off of those nine turnovers. There was also a missed field goal punt and then uh, an interception. So the defense has done their part. But do you really want to rely on that week in and week out that, hey, if we turn the ball over in the red zone, our defense will hold them to three? I mean, I don't really want to rely on that. It's nice that it's worked out so far, but I'm not sure it's something that I want to say is is necessarily sustainable. And you don't want to put your defense in that position anyway. So I think if the Bengals are able to limit the turnovers, and they were last week, right? Off to a rough start. You had the, the fumble on the first drive, and our defense held strong, three points allowed only. After that, though, a fairly clean game from the offense, no more turnovers after that point. If we're able to replicate that, I think we'll be, you know, not shooting ourselves in the foot is going to be a huge part of our success offensively. The third carry offensively, I think, is staying ahead of the chains. In the first Bengals-Steelers matchup, they uh, Cincinnati averaged seven yards per play on first down. So first down on average, we're getting seven yards on that play, setting up, I guess, on average, a second and three. Uh, in week six and seven, arguably our two best offensive performances of the year against the Lions, against the Ravens, we averaged 6.2 yards gained on first down. When you think about the possibilities of your offense and what your, your playbook kind of opening up on second and three, 
second and four, second and two. That's where you're you're not necessarily bound to. You get a negative play. You get penalties that, that put you behind the chains. Second and 12, you're probably not going to run the ball because unless you get six yards, you're going to be sitting on a third and long. If you are on second and five and then you don't stay ahead of the chains and you take a, a loss of yardage or take a sack, you're looking at third and 11, then you don't want to put your offense in third and long situations, especially with pass rushers like the Steelers have and TJ Watt, because you're obviously putting your offensive line in a difficult position where they're going to be forced to block a defensive line that knows this team's going to be passing. So we're pinning our ears back and going, if they can stay ahead of the chains, eliminate some of those or decrease some of those negative yardage plays, whether it be sacks, whether it be penalties, whether it be some of those runs and tosses that go for negative three yards, eliminate some of those, keep those in the like four to five range. If you can have like four to five plays a game, where you're getting negative yardage and it's only like one or two yard losses on a run, that's way different than if you're having six, seven, eight, nine plays where you're going backwards. Makes it difficult on your offense. And I think, you know, protecting the ball, turnovers, and not being able to stay ahead of the chains, we're, that's really us being our own worst enemies. That's the only way I think our offense is going to really struggle this game is if we shoot ourselves in the foot. We should have success running the ball. If we protect the ball, I am confident in our ability to score. And I'm not sure that the Pittsburgh offense has the firepower to keep up with us. Now, defensively, another obvious key, sounds obvious, is limiting penalties. And I think it's especially important against Pittsburgh. We know Pittsburgh is going to try to bait us into penalties. If I'm not mistaken, in week three, I believe they tried to bait Jermaine Pratt into a penalty. Or maybe he was trying to sell a penalty. Foggy memory. But either way... We know how the Steelers operate. We saw them with the dirty plays last week against the Chargers where Cam Hayward apparently was just trying to catch his balance. And so he needed to punch Justin Hubbard and uh, Justin Herbert in the stomach. But all that to say, we know how they play. So whether it's defensive pass interference penalties on underthrows from Big Ben or whether it's unnecessary roughness stuff, I think, especially with the way the first game went, Bengals winning in convincing fashion on the road, comments from Tyler Boyd about the the team kind of quitting, Pittsburgh kind of quitting. I think they're going to be even more motivated. And sometimes motivation can be kind of overblown, right? Like you would think teams are pretty motivated every game, especially when they're in the hunt for the playoffs, especially when they're playing a divisional foe. But there has, there has to be some of these things that give you a little extra oomph. And I think this could be one of those games where we see a little bit extra from Pittsburgh and and they want to beat us, not just because they want to beat us, but they're a game behind us or half a game or whatever it is in the AFC North. If Pittsburgh beats us and moves to six, four and one, and we're at six and five, they're ahead of us then in the AFC North standing. Like, this is a big game for them as well. First matchup, the Bengals actually committed 10 penalties in one of their sloppier performances of the year, but it was a lot of like uh, we had three offensive uh, lineman holds that were called. We had uh, illegal formation, a false start on Tyler Boyd. Uh, we had a couple defensive pass interferences, but they weren't on deep shots. So they weren't necessarily 30, 40 yard penalty type of things. Not great to have 10 penalties, but a lot of those were self-inflicted as, a, as opposed to being um, undisciplined, like the unnecessary roughness type of stuff. So I think if our defense commits penalties and extends drives for Pittsburgh, we're in trouble because 
Pittsburgh is going to need all the help they can, I think, to move the ball consistently on this defense. I think what we saw last week was a return of the defense we saw the first couple months of the season before the the two-game losing skid. We're our own worst enemy on defense as well. Whether it's missing tackles, whether it's committing penalties, extending their drives, and then on offense, we know penalties can kill our drives as well, turning those second and twos into second and longs or whatever it may be. So limiting the penalties defensively will be huge and, and showing the discipline that Zach Taylor teams have really shown pretty well throughout his tenure, especially this season. The next key was limiting Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris yards after catch. I kind of talked about that already, but I think Big Ben is going to like those two guys are going to see their targets. I would say between those two, you're talking 15 to 20 targets between those two guys. It's okay to let them catch the short passes as long as you're wrapping up, making the tackles. Let let Pittsburgh nickel and dime us down the field. They kind of did that in the first game on their one drive after being down 24 to seven, right? Which it was a little different because we obviously held a two score lead, three score lead. And when you would think the Steelers would be trying to move the ball quickly down the field, they took nine plus minutes off of the the clock, but it was a lot of short stuff. I think Chase Claypool is like, he's their lone deep threat. I think he's going to get some of those shots and he's good. Keep in mind, he is prone to offensive pass interference and, I just, I just don't think, though, Big Ben's arm is one that's going to be trusted to regularly throw deep. So the deep threat, getting beat on the big plays, the 60-yard passes, aren't really my biggest concern. I do have some concerns about Deontay Johnson typically lines up out wide. He doesn't work a ton out of the slot. And Chase Claypool works opposite side out wide as well. Eli Apple's going to be on one of those guys. And uh, I'm not exactly sure which one I would prefer him to be on, because if he makes a mistake against Chase Claypool as their lone deep threat, that can be a a 40 yard play. If he's unable to make a tackle on Deontay Johnson, it's turning some of those short gains into long gains as well. So I think Eli Apple's going to have his hands full. I'm hopeful that the the defense, kind of what we saw last week, rallying and uh, making tackles together as a unit will help us hopefully. We already know Trey Waynes is out again. So it's it's going to rely on Eli Apple having a, a decent game like he did last week. Pittsburgh is not stupid. Well, debatable maybe. But I think Pittsburgh is going to a, try to attack Eli Apple either with Claypool or with Deontay Johnson. And Deontay Johnson's a good wide receiver. He creates a ton of separation on his routes. He's similar to Tyler Boyd in that way that he's able to really navigate the intermediate area and and get open pretty much whenever he wants so if we're able to limit the yards after catch i'm not too worried about giving up that big explosive play and i think we'll be able to to hold them under the mid-20s i think if we can hold them under mid-20s they're not going to be able to to keep up with our offense as you can guess my my fantasy start for the Bengals is going to be joe mixon because i think he will get a pretty good workload and i think he'll be rather involved in again strength versus weakness here i think he's going to have some success running the ball Pittsburgh side, I mean, if you have Najee Harris, you're starting him just because his volume is insane. If he's not having success running the ball, they'll throw it to him 10 times. And you're starting Deontay Johnson, too. I think even if a woozie is on Deontay Johnson, Deontay has the ability to get open and is going to see, again, he's going to be peppered with tons of targets. He sees nearly a third of the pass attempts Ben Roethlisberger throws goes to Deontay Johnson. So if we assume Ben's going to throw it, 30, 40, 50 times. I mean, 10, 12, 15 targets for Deontay Johnson is not out of the question. So 
you're going to chase that opportunity, um, especially in PPR leagues as well, where Deontay could rack up some catches. I'm interested from the Bengals wide receiver trio. I'm not ready to deem one of them a start of the week. Jamar Chase played uh, pretty well in their first matchup while he didn't have a ton of yards necessarily. Four for 65. He did have two of those four catches go for touchdowns. Boyd had a touchdown in the first game, four for 36. I believe that was the play over the middle where he broke a couple tackles and then dove dove into the end zone as well. T. Higgins didn't play in that first game. If you look back to last season in the lone matchup where uh, Joe Burrow played against the Steelers, T. went for, I believe it was seven for 115 and a touchdown. So, you know, I don't know whether that's a key to this offense that he's going to excel again against the Steelers this year. Different personnel different team out there especially having jamar chase changes things a little bit for t higgins t's been uh he's he's been a little bit off this year i i keep waiting for this huge performance from him and he struggled a little bit with drops uh hasn't been separating very much and unfortunately it just seems like a lot of those 50 50 type of balls are more like 25 75 right now not coming down with many of those so that's hurt his production as well but I'll be interested to see which of our receivers is able to step up. I don't know if they're going to focus their coverage on Jamar Chase, who really hurt them last time with the two touchdowns, in which case, you know, better for Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins to eat. And we know Joe Mixon's going to get his touches as well. In the end, I'm predicting a Cincinnati win. I think Cincinnati's going to win somewhere in the 30 to 20 range. Again, I think our defense pending self-inflicted wounds is going to be able to slow down this offense is going to be able to make it difficult for them to move the ball up and down the field. The Pittsburgh offensive line has not been very good this season. And I know the, the spreads actually, I think changed a little bit because I think the Bengals started at like two or two and a half point favorites. It's currently sitting at Bengals four and a half point favorites over under a 45. So they're thinking like a 24 to 20 game, 25, 20 game, something like that. I think the Bengals will, will get to 30. The offense did not play well in that first game, all things considered, and, and scored 24 points. Yes, the Steelers were without TJ Watt. But I think this Bengals team overall is better in pretty much every single way from where they were the third week of the season. Cincinnati, huge opportunity to move to 7-4 and four. If, if the Ravens lose take over first place in the AFC North. The the second chance now because we just played the Raiders after the bye who were in the in the playoff picture. Another chance controlling your own destiny, beat the teams that are right around you, ahead of you in the playoff race. We'll have plenty of those coming down the stretch. And this is just another one. At home, a winnable game, a game I do think the Bengals will come out on top in. Thank you for listening. It is either thanksgiving day you're listening while you're driving maybe it's black friday maybe you're hanging up christmas decorations outside on the weekend this is the weekend for that as well wherever you are listening whatever day it is i appreciate it hopefully come next week we will be thankful for yet another Bengals win until next time good day